It's Sue Grant Marshall reading letters on Radio Today, 1485 AM and going out to on DSTV channel 869. On the line from Cape Town, and there is a slight delay, so don't let that bother you. It doesn't mean that I have lost Hedy Lampert, who is the author, debut author, of a fascinating book, The Trouble with My Aunt. And she has done the illustrations on the cover. I'm going to ask her about that later. And, you know, the subtitle on this is Inspired by Actual Events. Hedy, welcome to Radio Today and Reading Matters. Lovely to have you on the show. Lovely to be chatting to you, Sue. And such a such a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. Oh, that's a pleasure, Hedy. Now, the trouble with my aunt, I'm going to take you right into your aunt and your trouble, your family's trouble with your aunt and then we'll talk about the novel and how you've written the novel and then afterwards we'll discuss how you decided and how you managed to write a novel about a very real and um yeah painful uh, medical uh, condition so let's start with your family now i know your aunt has this um condition do you call it a condition or a disease or what the, the the fragile X it's a, syndrome. So it's a it's a genetic condition and it's 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 inherited and it's called fragile X syndrome. Yes. And it is the most common inherited form of cognitive impairment. Uh, we 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 tend to think of Down syndrome being the most common cognitive impairment, but that is not inherited. It's a day, it, it's a de novo thing. Uh, fragile X is always inherited. Yes, yes. And what, for me, um, uh, Hedy, w- w- was extremely troubling and fascinating and disturbing is that people can be carriers of this fragile X syndrome, which is on the chromosome, um, and not knowing about it and then suddenly it seems to appear in a family and 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 it and and because it's so common that is what is so disturbing so let's go right now into your family and the reality and then we'll get into your clever novel which is riveting riveting eddie <laughs> thank you thank you Sue. okay so my my mother's sister was uh, born 18 months after she was in 1933 and from the get-go it was clear that things weren't right with this child um her development land um, milestones were all delayed in terms of speaking walking by the time she got to school uh, in the middle of grade two she was sent home by the nuns um, they were at a convent. Uh, apparently, she just sat there chewing the pencils and eating her sandwiches. My grandmother tried in vain to teach her to read and write. Uh, tutors were brought in. There was a lot of frustration, tantrums, anxiety. Uh, my mother spent her life looking after and defending and feeling responsible for her sister. And what troubled her most was while while there was a great burden looking after her, she was almost more troubled by not being around 
to look after her. Yes. Um, and she she told me that she prayed almost every day that that she would not be the first to die, that my aunt would be the first to die. But that was that didn't come to pass. My mom did die to, in, in 2013, and I kind of do have to look after my aunt, although she is in an old age home um, in Johannesburg, but she is, I am her next of kin, and I'm pretty much the person on call. So, yeah. Wow, gosh. It's the cross we bear. That is jolly but tough. you asked about... Um, yeah, you asked about how it manifested. So my, it turned out that my granny was the carrier. Now, nobody would have suspected anything that my, my granny was a completely normal, functional, beautiful woman. And um, she inherited it from her mother. And my granny's brother also became a carrier, also inherited from his mother. And he passed it on to his daughter, and she's remained a carrier. She lives in Israel now. She's my mom's first cousin and she's a highly functional, wonderfully smart person who has a degree. She's a she has a fine arts degree. She's a teacher. She has four children, one of whom is profoundly affected, a son, much more so than my aunt, uh, because it affects men more than it affects women when it does. So what it does is it melts this particular problem on the gene multiplies in your children, in your children's children, and so on. And the more multiplications or more replications of this particular site you have on the gene, the more problems and the more it manifests. Very uh, technical reasons for it, but I won't go into that. Yeah, because you, you're going to... Uh, that was the other question I was going to ask you before we went on the show. And I, I need just one email address um, for all these different websites because they're too tricky to to um, say on air, you know, the HTTP and all of that kind of thing. So think about that while we're talking which one particular website is the best one to go into, and I'll get that from you at the end. Hedy, how does this manifest? Yes. I mean, you said, you know, that your aunt went to school, she chewed her pencil and, <clears throat> and ate her sandwiches while everyone else was learning how to write ABC. Um, but what are the further disturbing manifestations of this fragile X. I mean, in public, um, what are people like this like? We all know what a Down syndrome child looks like and acts like. How does a fragile X person, how does or did your aunt when she was younger <clears throat> manifest in public this, this condition? Okay, so talking about my aunt firstly, um, first of all, it's important to say that, that like many uh, conditions, there is a spectrum. Some people are better, some people um, are, are worse. My aunt is quite badly affected, but she's also actually, relatively speaking, fairly high-functioning. So uh, she, she speaks beautifully, and um, she... You wouldn't know there was anything wrong until you started speaking to her for a little while longer and suddenly she'll say, you know, when we were in Japan and Daddy had that nosebleed, oh, I was so scared, and then she'll burst into tears. And it's got nothing to do with the conversation. So there's, in terms of social and conversational cues, they struggle. There's a lot of repetition. It's called uh, perseveration, um, perseverance. Um, and so she would parrot 
my grandmother and generally she would parrot you if you were speaking to her and she would go back to to what she wanted to speak about as a topic, which was generally when she last had her hair permed. Yes. And um, and then she would ask you about your hairdresser because she was very comfortable and still is very comfortable with that particular subject. Yes. In terms of uh, physicality, there are particular features that manifest in a fragile ex-person as they hit puberty uh, specifically. And this tends to be a longer face, quite a prominent forehead, slightly down with droopy eyes. They tend to have large ears and the joints tend to be very loose so they can be flat feet. Um, in my aunt particularly, profoundly flat feet that cause major shoe problems. And um, if you are a carrier, you can also have physical problems which manifest in uh, premature ovarian failure and even uh, a sort of apexis, which these things can all be looked up, uh, which is a sort of almost like a Parkinson's, which manifests in the older years in, in carriers. So, uh, Hedy, I just want to interrupt there. Hedy, I just want to interrupt there. So there are fertility problems in some people who, who have this ex- In carriers. In yes. carriers, there yes. can be fertility problems, yes. Gosh, okay. So we'll get back to that uh, a bit later. So fragile X I'm sorry, fragile X-associated primary ovarian insufficiency is what it's called. Yes. And fragile X-associated tremor ataxia syndrome. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's, it's hard for families, but there are a lot of support groups now, a lot, a lot, all over the world, particularly in Australia, the US, and the UK. And when I look at the, I look at the Facebook groups and people can talk and ask questions. And if my aunt had been born now, yes. she's probably had been able to, to read and write, get schooling. She might have been able to be a, a receptionist because she's very personable, very friendly, and has an amazing memory. Yeah. Um, or an astonishing memory. Wow. And, um, Hedy, so yeah. now, um, you, you know, you uh, got um, tested... Uh, at that stage, um, the your blood had to be sent to Belgium because there wasn't, there were not testing facilities here. There are now. Um, what made you <clears throat> decide you needed to be tested? And then your mother was, and I think maybe your grandmother was tested as well. I'm not sure. Yes. So um, the, the the weird thing is nobody. Nobody thought there was anything genetic wrong with my aunt. We, we thought that she had a glandular problem because she 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 had thyroid issues and she'd always only seen a a gland an, an endocrinologist. My cousin, who uh, is the mother of um, the profoundly affected fragile ex male child, uh, she had been searching and searching and searching, and uh, they had somehow found their way to researchers at Johns Hopkins University and um, they stumbled on the fact that fragile X could in fact be the issue. It was very, very um, new in terms of research, state-of-the-art stuff. This was in the mid-80s and my cousin phoned me and she said, look, we now know what is wrong and I believe that your aunt has got the same thing. Now, that in itself was a problem because my grandmother 
didn't want, could, could ne- she could never see herself associating her own daughter's problems with this profoundly affected cousin. Yes. So we had all this kind of prejudice that was within the family. You had societal prejudice yes. around uh, people who have these uh, problems, and they are merely cast aside as being retarded and, and, and mentally handicapped and a lot institutionalized. But then you have this internal prejudice, and that was, that, that was why I wanted to write this book, because there was this irony there. Anyway, the, in, in reality, my, my cousin said, look, you've got to get tested, and you've got to get your grand tested and your aunt and your mom, because we need to see if you are carriers. She said that she was, in fact, a carrier. So we were tested. We were among the first families to be tested. And um, Is that so I in... had to be sent to Belgium almost immediately, you know, get there on ice because there were no facilities there. And it came back. I was not a carrier. My mom was not a carrier. My aunt had received the, the, the gene from my gran, and my gran was the carrier, and my aunt was the sufferer. Wow. And you know, Hedy, it's Sue Grant Marshall reading Matters on Radio today, 1485 AM. And I'm chatting to um, Hedy Lampert, who is a published author. She's an award-winning journalist. She's drop-dead gorgeous. This book that I have in front of me. Of course you are. The Trouble With My Aunt (laughs) is... um, is is fascinating. So so Hedy, um, you know, she's brought this yes. insatiable curiosity in the field of you know, genetic psychology, relationship dynamics into your writing. And and Hedy, do you know as I read this book, now without all the knowledge and background that you've just imparted to those listening to Reading Matters on radio today, when I read it, The Trouble with My Aunt, you have such a fluid, easy, chatty, accessible way of writing. We're immediately into the story because it's such a warm story. The character, fictional character, is Leah and um, it's set in a very Jewish family and um, all the food, the phrases, the warmth, the interconnectivity in terms of all the family members and friends. It just comes so to life. So when uh, through your 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 excellent writing, and you know when things happen which are not particularly happy um, things, um, but they that's life. And and then I think you know I'm so invested in it, reading it, and I and I exclaim out loud, "Oh no!" <laughs> like <laughs> like I'm chatting to you and you telling me the story, which of course you are, but it's in print, and I'm you know, and I'm I'm yelling out, oh no, oh no! <laughs> That's how warm and wonderful it is, and all the different types of Jewish food and traditions. So even if you're not interested in the fragile X syndrome, or anything to do with it, which I think we all should be, having read this book and chatted to you, Hedy Lampert, um, you can just enjoy it for its warmth, for the things that happen to its central character, Leah, who is a gorgeous but very determined um, 
single uh, person, you know, she doesn't feel she has to have a man hanging on her arm. She's got a really good top job. And, you know, I just love the character um, because she is so, yeah, she's such a she's such a personality in her own right, you know. And, and so when things happen to her, that's when you groan and you wish this and that were not happening. Now, getting into the actual story, Hedy, how did you manage to make... No, first... Yeah, no, hang on. I'll ask you that afterwards. By the way, our we, well, Hedy, is giving away um, two or three copies of this book. It depends who writes to her and how many do. And I'm going to give you her address right now, um, email address. So grab your pens and you can write to her. And the first two that she gets... Um, she will post um, a copy, a free copy of this book too, The Trouble With My Aunt. So the email, if you've got your pen ready there, is Hedy, H-E-D-I, what a gorgeous name, dot Lampert, L-A-M for Mary, P-E-R for Robert, T for Tommy, at gmail.com. And I'll repeat that at the at the at the end, Hedy. So now, how did you decide with this um, syndrome, with the condition, with you have two sons, um, your own concern about whether you were a carrier or could pass it on to your sons? How did you decide to turn all of that into this incredibly warm, accessible, funny, there are laugh out loud moments because of, you know, Aunt Vi, who really exists, you know, in life and in and in the book. I mean, there are such funny moments. Um, how did you manage to do that? Okay, so Sue, firstly, let me um, correct you. I have a son and a daughter, and um, I had already found out in 1985, long before I started having children, that um, I was not a carrier. The blood test confirmed that I was okay. So I knew going into my pregnancies, which which happened much later, that, that I was fine. I just had normal tests that uh, most antenatal um, advisors uh suggest yes. so so that was the first thing but the, the I started writing um, after going to visit Anne Schuster the um, marvelous writing coach who's now sadly not with us anymore um, Anne ran all these writing courses and um, we were we were taught to go in and, and, and mine within and I started writing bits and pieces about my family and I realized I had a story. And um, it wasn't easy to, to come up with enough words as an autobiography. And I was told, no, you've got to have plot, you've got to have plot. I went to various mentors and um, I decided I was going to fictionalize it but using episodes from truth. And so I, so I fictionalized. It started in first person, it went to third person, then back to first person, but in the character of Leah. So there's a lot of fiction there that, 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 that adds the drama. And of course, there's the romance and all the betrayal and all the secrets that come out and, and all these, as you say, all these 
things that happened to Leah, it's like a mother on no, this poor woman. Because I just kept throwing things at her yes, and, and, yes. and upping the ante. And I wanted it to be dialogue driven because because it needed to be fast paced. And a lot of those people uh, characters speak to me because they are uh, based on my grand, my aunt and my mother. It's very much a homage to my mother, this book. And it's not so much people say, oh, are you Leah? Well, yes, I am Leah. But at the same time, there's also a bit of me and the best friend, Stella. And I haven't put all of myself in there, not by any stretch of the imagination. I felt that the story needed to be told in terms of Leah's um, relationships and her interactions with Gran, her mother, uh, Amy, and Auntie Vi, and those interactions and episodes would tell the story. And particularly at the end, the marvelous Lily Gerber, who is colorful and amazing, and she is, everybody has a mad aunt, and she's very much the keeper of the secret <laughs> in, in the story. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I just love Lily Gerber in the in the is that her real name by any by any chance? No, 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 no. All names all names have been changed and names and places have been changed. Yes. Now Hedy, the gorgeous Hedy Lampert, um, you have a background, a creative background, because you know, you were or still are a magazine editor, a writing coach, a professional speaker, a voiceover artist, a photographer, and a food stylist. So all of that emerges in this book. And in fact, it also emerges on the cover with these witty, cute um, paintings, drawings, sketches. What would you call them? You have, this is your cover. Um, I did them. Yes, well, I, I just decided that that I had a vision for the cover of the book, and so and my daughter said to me, "Mom, just do it yourself." She got so irritated with me because I was wanting <laughs> her to do it. She's also an artist, yes. Um, and she said, "You know, you can." So I just sat down one night and I started sketching, uh, and some were from photographs, and some were just kind of from my head, and so it was pencil, and then I did watercolor washes, and then just very very fine. Um, pen and ink to finish it off and that's yes. what we used and, and I've actually got the originals which I have posted from time to time on Facebook but they're rather lovely Yes, yes, they are. It's so gorgeous. You know what it is? It's so refreshingly different, Hedy. And and my point about this book, which I have already made, I think, but I'm going to make it again, is that, <clears throat> you know, you don't have to go into all the medical stuff, etc., etc. You write about it in such an easy and accessible way that you can just pick up this book and read it without having to go into the whole X syndrome thing. It comes through in the book. You, you, you make it so easy to understand. But, Hedy, my question to you next is, is probably quite a tricky one. I mean, you know, Down syndrome, certainly when I was a child, which is a heck of a long time ago, Down syndrome children, there were lots of them. Do you know? They're, they're fewer today, uh, for all, all the reasons we probably all know. But now, in terms of this, the, the, this you know, kind of X factor, um, I mean, what do we fragile do now? X. Yes, fragile X. I'm, I'm being cheeky and just saying. But should we all rush <laughs> out and, and get tested? Should any person, woman who falls pregnant be tested for this factor? I mean, wh what what are... What are the red, what are the alarms? 
Um, I think if if you have got, if you know of a family member, an aunt, a cousin, who who is just not quite right, there's always there's always a sign that that if somebody is in fact a sufferer of it. But you might not know about it. You really might not. If 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 you are planning to have children, it's always a good idea to to seek genetic counselling, and um, you can in fact go to the um, National Health Laboratory Service, the NHLS, at at the University of the Witwatersrand. Yes, and um, and they will help you. They 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 have loads of counsellors, they have all the facilities, you can be tested and um, that is what I would suggest if, if you have any concerns, have a test it's available. Yes, yes and of course the NHLS is very much in the news now with COVID-19 and you know the scientific yes. advisory board, the NHLS is very much um, on that and um, but now, Hedy, is there a website or something? I mean, you've you, you sent some to me. They're quite um, they're quite intense to say. I, I think I'll say one over the air. Which one should I give as a kind of portal? Um, you know, Sue, there are so many. Um, and I I found that they were all very very good in terms of of you literally have to type fragile x syndrome into your search bar and all sorts of things will come up and it's all pretty accurate um but you could you could try um the uh friends for fragile x dot org o-r-g um and and there's also the National Fragile X Foundation. It depends, you know, if, if you want to look for something in Britain, the UK or the US. So really, yes. there's, there's a lot. Oh, well, that's fantastic. That's incredible. Now, Hedy, there's no other book like this book that you have written, The Trouble With My Aunt. It's published by... Who's it published by, Hedy? Uh, Porcupine Press. Yes. Um, and it's going to cost, depending on where you buy it, it's going to cost you about... No, it's, a, it's, it's $290, uh, is the suggested retail price. Yes. Um, it is available, um, I know, at um, Book Dealers, yes. Bluebird Centre. Yes. And um, my, uh, I, I have uh, cousins who are also distributing for me and I can give you that phone number um, if you don't mind. Yes, give me that phone number. Phone. Yes, give it out slowly and clearly, Fred Hedy. David. Fred David on 082-863-5659. I'll repeat that, 082-863-5659. Fred David has copies of The Trouble With My Aunt. It's also available on Amazon.com, Amazon.co.uk, and it will be in exclusive books soon, as soon as the uh, distributors have uh, dealt with the backlog of COVID-19. So, yes, it is freely available.
Okay, so there we go. And if you <clears throat> want a free copy from the author, Hedy Lampert, of The Trouble With My Aunt, you can email her at hedy, H-E-D-I dot Lampert, L-A-M-P-E-R-T, at gmail, we all know that, dot com. And uh, yes, the, the first um, couple will be sent a book giveaway by Hedy Lampert. Hedy, I loved the story. I love the fact that you have packed all this information into such an easy read. I'm so impressed with your writing abilities. Are you going to write another book? Oh, Sue, that's the question. I'm still so, I'm, I'm still brimming with so much excitement and post postpartum euphoria from this book. And because um, it was about to launch as all the lockdown restrictions hit us, I was scuppered and, and frustrated yeah. because yes. I was going to be on the Jewish Literary Festival uh, and I had all these launches and all these appearances planned and um, I am still invited to, um, we've got a literary festival planned at the end of October in Richmond uh, called Bukbadonet. Oh, I've been uh, there. I hope that's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. So that's in the Northern Cape, and that, that's going to be so much fun to go and do a road trip uh, and appear there. Um, but I think next year, hopefully, will be our year. And, and so I still have a lot of energy and vitality to give to the launch of this book. And then um, I might set my interests to a new one. But in the meantime, yeah, this, this is the one. And um, I'm, I'm going to try and earn my money to, so teaching yes to teaching writing and I'm going to have to start coaching online and uh, yeah content creation and the things that we that, that which we now call magazine journalism content creation absolutely exactly. and um, and if uh, it you know, as you've described it happens then um, I was due to launch it in April up here with you, and and I really do hope that happens, yes, Eddie. Yes, of course. Yes, so let's hope you can get up to Joburg, you know, next year and launch this book. Meanwhile, rush out there, everybody, and buy The Trouble With My Aunt by Hedy Lampert. And the cover alone will draw you in because it is so enticing with these little figures. And as you read the book, you know who they are. Hedy in Cape Town, thank you so much for chatting to me. And I wish you all the luck in the world with this book, with its launch now and next year. Oh, thank you, Sue. It's been such a joy speaking to you. And um, yes, I really hope that you and I will be standing in the same room, not too socially distant, launching this book together yes. next year. And it will be wonderful. <laughs> thank you so much. Giving really each other a big hug. So cheers, Hedy Lampert. Thank you very much yes. and good luck. Bye-bye. I have a fascinating book which just plopped into my office today, Monday, <laughs> the 1st of June. Um, yeah, so if, the, if that's a measure of how many books are going to come flooding in, isn't that exciting? I've had four <laughs> today. Right, so here we go. This is called Simply 
Fast Asleep. And it's a book about how to go to sleep, stay asleep and wake up feeling refreshed. It also contains advice on how to lose weight um, as part of um, sleeping well. It also advises people who are um, obese that if you lose some weight, you'll find you're going to sleep better. Apparently, uh, obese people struggle to sleep well. He talks about now, oh yes, who does? Dr. Michael Mosley, M-O-S-L-E-Y. This is a book published by Faber and Faber and handled in South Africa by Jonathan Ball Publishers. It's a soft cover. It's going to cost you 240 rands. And Michael Mosley has written several books. Um, he's British. The, the Fast 800 is the one. The Clever Guts Diet is another. And The Eight-Week blood sugar diet. Now, this book, Fast Asleep, How to Get a Really Good Night's Rest, is one of the really good books I have picked up. Well, I didn't pick it up. <clears throat> it landed, as I said, in my office. Um, because it is so practical and you can get to the gut of the matter. And boy, does the gut count in sleeping. It's absolutely incredible. Improve brain function, says another of the um, shouts on the cover. Reduce sugar cravings, boost your mood. And it's called a, a groundbreaking sleep program from the best-selling author of The Fast 800, which I've never read. Now, Dr. Michael Mosley explains right in front in the introduction that he always struggled to sleep well. As a teenager and a youngster, he didn't. He said he could fall asleep, and apparently he did, in a telephone booth and in all kinds of strange places. And then, as he studied medicine more and more, and those hectic hours they worked and so on, and then babies came along, and uh, so sleep became something um, of a challenge, good sleep. Um, and so anyway, he says, which I find absolutely fascinating, that over the last 20 years, there's been a revolution in our understanding of sleep and just how important it is. Not so long ago, he says, it was fashionable to brag that you hardly slept at all and the mark of a successful business person or politician was their ability to get by on very little shut eye. I mean, one of the famous people who did that was Margaret Thatcher. And I think, <clears throat> conversely, Churchill got a jolly good night's sleep. I, um, I can't swear to that. But anyway, it... it it was, you know, uh, Margaret Thatcher, I did not know until I read this book, had been held up as a shining example of someone who could operate without much sleep. And in fact, <laughs> that has turned out to be a carefully cultivated myth. So isn't that interesting? And do you know when this um, author, Michael Mosley, said, you know, he was um, studying medicine and he was told by, uh, as he puts it, a grizzled medical consultant um, when he was complaining about the lack of sleep. This consultant said, sleep is for wimps. Or as another put it, there's plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. All of which is absolute nonsense. Today, our current attitudes to sleep are very, very different. Because thanks to recent research, we know that too little sleep can devastate our bodies, our brains, and our micro. 
biome, which is our gut bacteria. And by doing this, <laughs> we dramatically increase our risk of developing a range of chronic conditions such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, and, oh my goodness, wait for it, dementia. Who would have thought? The fascinating thing about a good night's sleep is that certain parts of it have to be what Michael Mosley describes as deep sleep. And the reason for that is that it cleans, this deep sleep cleans out our brains and they need to be cleaned out. Like a cell phone, for instance, if you've got a lot of pictures and you know you've saved up everything on it every every talk you've had every conversation it gets cluttered and our brains the same thing it's a good thing to clean them out and when we sleep well and we have this deep sleep it releases a fluid that washes our brains isn't that absolutely fantastic I did not know that compared to a modern computer, our brains can store an extraordinary amount of data. A recent estimate put its storage capacity at around 1,000 terabytes, which is a billion megabytes. A computer with that capacity could store around 2 billion books or half a million films. Isn't that fantastic? So, you know, our brains, we, we don't know how good they are and how much they are capable of. And you know how, well, certainly for me in the old days when I was at school, you know, you'd cram the night before and then you'd wonder why you didn't, and you didn't get good sleep and you wonder why you didn't do so well in the exam. Well, now here's a scientific fact. Um, the staying up late, small, uh, uh, a little bit of sleep, um, why it's so bad is that, in fact, certain parts of your brain store information that you put into it in a different part of your brain that initially takes it in. And so that's why having good, deep sleep is so important for remembering facts. And now let me turn to the part in the book because I've got so many markers. Um... What puts us to sleep and what keeps us awake, and he's illustrated that. I think he did these illustrations himself, Michael Mosley, is an owl and a lark. So <clears throat> he points out to us that the urge to sleep begins <laughs> early in the day from the moment we first wake up and get out of bed. <laughs> and that's because shortly before we wake up, our body releases a surge of hormones, including the stress hormone, cortisol and that prepares us for the day but it also triggers the release of a chemical in the brain called I don't know how you pronounce this adenosine a-d-e-n-o-s-i-n-e and it binds to receptors in our brain and it slows down brain activity and that's why people drink coffee but you have to be careful about coffee how much you drink and when you drink it because it is something it is a stimulator and it does stimulator mm, it does keep you awake then <clears throat> there's a chapter here eating your way to a good night's sleep how about that and it's that that came into his book the clever 
guts diet. But in this book, which is, I'll remind you again, called Fast Asleep by Dr. Michael Mosley. Okay, they, they've done all these uh, research studies, people asleep, people awake, you know, etc., etc. They did um, a study um, which put some people on a Mediterranean diet, you know, that's high in... Um, in uh, grains, legumes, peas, using olive oil, etc., etc., and those on what you might call an American diet, which is high in carbohydrates, processed foods, and it's extraordinary um, how many people with moderate to severe depression on a Mediterranean-style diet were able to come off medications um, for mood um, they were no longer clinically depressed isn't that amazing then he talks about eating cheese you know my mother always used to say to me don't eat cheese before you go to sleep or you'll have nightmares there's something to that in in some instances because if it's saturated fat that you eat just before you go to bed, it's likely, yes, to disrupt your sleep. But there's no evidence, says Michael Mosley, that cheese is worse than any other food or that it triggers nightmares. And he says that the claim that it causes nightmares seems to have started with Charles Dickens' book, A Christmas Carol. Oh, and it's one of my favorites. The central character in that, you may remember, if you've ever read it, Ebenezer Scrooge blames his disturbing visions. You know, there's the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present and Christmas future. And um, so he blames those on eating cheese. So what do you eat to improve the quality of your um, sleep. So they've been saying, um, studies have shown that eating a Mediterranean diet will cut your risk of having a heart attack or stroke by around 33%. It'll cut your risk of developing type 2 diabetes, you know, that's lifestyle diabetes, by 50%. In other words, you can control it and uh, by changing your lifestyle. And, oh, I can't believe this, we can cut our risk of developing breast cancer by up to 70% by sticking to a Mediterranean-style diet. Now, not only has Michael Mosley done lots and lots of studies himself, because he was such a bad sleeper, on, on sleep and what's good sleep and bad sleep, etc., etc., he's actually given us a whole lot of recipes on um, glossy paper in the middle of the book, and they range from... Black grapes with yogurt and almonds. He favours full-fat yogurt. Then he's given us a recipe for sweet potato savoury muffins with feta. Um, there's, there's curried lentil soup with turmeric. There's hot smoked salmon salad. I mean, they are gorgeous recipes. Chicken and veg tray bake. I'm going to, I'm going to make that. Black bean salad with lime and avocado. And I can tell you, looking at these uh, recipes and the pictures of them, they're easy to make. And there's even a dessert, a Dorset apple cake. And all the recipes are at the back of the book. Now, I'm, I'm running out of time. So, <clears throat> what he says, summary at the end of one of the chapters, 
try not to eat within three hours of bedtime. And he says, extend this kind of overnight fast. So you eat, if you're going to eat within, you know, three hours before you go to bed, you've got to get <laughs> eating at about, you know, finish eating at about 7.30 or 8 and try to eat breakfast at about 8 o'clock. He loves porridge oats, but not instant. Snack on nuts, he says. Great source of protein and fibre. They should lead to uh, more deep sleep. I must say, I sleep like a baby and I love almonds. I eat handfuls every day, which can be apparently a bit um, fattening. But anyway, I love them. Um, then he's got a fast sleep program in brief and it gives you week one to week, I think, four of how to learn how to sleep properly. He's got the recipes at the end. He's got all the scientific papers. It is fascinating. So there you go. Fast Asleep by Dr. Michael Mosley. And it is, um, as I said, you can get it in South Africa through Jonathan Ball Books and it will cost you 240 rands depending on where you buy it. Now I must tell you that I don't know if you remember that I interviewed a fascinating guy who wrote the book Harris Duzemetsis, The Man Who Killed Apartheid, The Life of Dimitri Tsefendis. It's been shortlisted for the inaugural award of the 2020 African Studies Association of the UK. I never knew there was such a thing. Anyway, for short, the acronym ASAUK. And um, I really hope he, he wins it. I think he spent 10 years. I had him in the studio, interviewed him. He's a lecturer of politics at the School of Geography, Politics and Sociology at um, Newcastle University in England. And you may recall that um, Tsefendis was found to be a schizophrenic, totally mad. He was put into an insane asylum and subjected to cruel and inhumane, inhumane, I can't get that right, inhumane treatment by the prison authorities. Um, before he was put in a mental institution. Well, the apartheid government had to say he was mad because only a mad person would stab the um, then prime minister, today it's a president, um, to death. But all his life, he was, Tsefendis was a deeply political person, a communist, the son of an anarchist. He came from Mozambique and he hated Favut because of his apartheid policy and the misery inflicted by those who enforced apartheid laws. He wanted to end the madness of apartheid, so he murdered its creator, in other words, Hendrik Verwitt. So there you go. The two books for the day, you can get a free copy of the person I first interviewed at the beginning of this program, Hedy Lampert, about her book, the Trouble with My Aunt, and you can email Hedy, H-E-D-I dot Lampert, L-A-M-P-E-R-T, at gmail.com. I'll catch you next week, everybody. Cheers from Sue Grant Marshall, Reading Matters on Radio Today.